The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, and it's about time we got started talking about what, not only just what is IoT, Internet of Things, but how does it work? What's happening in the background? We're going to find out from our panel today. Let me just give you a little overview, and then we'll get started. The buzz is IoT. Let's give a little history. The Internet thrived when the browser was invented. HTML was the language every web page was talking, and HTTP was the protocol every browser and app used to talk to the Internet. Everybody played well in the sandbox. It worked well. And then, and then, along came the Internet of Things, and it requires a never-before-seen powerful infrastructure that has to accommodate huge volumes of data coming from thousands and thousands of entities and devices like, you know what I'm going to talk about, smart homes, smart cities, smart refrigerators, smart cars, everything is so smart, and there's so much coming down the pike. So the question is, today's smart businesses are building a new communications fabric that is uniquely suited for IoT. How are they doing it? What's involved? Who is involved? We have assembled a panel of experts who are going to help us answer these questions and solve these issues in the next 56 minutes. Yes, they are that smart. So let me bring on my first First guest, it's Dan McNamara, Chief Executive at KeyTree. That's one word, K-E-Y-T-R-E-E. And Dan sent me the following quote from Jeff Mulligan, who is the chair of the IP for Smart Objects Alliance. And Dan will tell us what that is. But here's the quote. We could incorporate Internet Protocol, IP, into nearly everything. There's no reason why the Internet shouldn't be in every single appliance. That's a wow. Welcome, Dan McNamara. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you, Bonnie. Thanks um, for joining yeah, so, us. Yeah. Uh, uh, this, uh, this, this quote comes from uh, Jeff Mulligan. Um, yeah, it was actually uh, 2008 that he said this, and this was an interview with uh, the Guardian newspaper in the UK. <clears throat> and Jeff's a bit of a, a visionary in this space. As, as you mentioned, he's chair of the uh, IP for Smart Objects Alliance. Um, uh, and um, it... it 2008 already seems like a, a, a lifetime ago, and I, 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 this, this quote particularly resonated with me because now we're in 2014, and uh, you know we have the capability here. So we've got you know 32-bit microcontrollers that um, have a processor, have memory, have you know peripherals attached to them, and this might be you know less than four millimeters squared. Uh, so we, we we actually do have the the, the capability to incorporate uh, to incorporate uh, internet uh, protocol into nearly everything. Um, 
<clears throat> and there's a number of um, uh, technologies really converging here. So we have, you know, the backbone, the cloud that's really coming together to handle this uh, this large data stream. Uh, we have these low power devices that are, you know, tiny uh, and can and can be put into into everyday objects. Um, but my interest. Um, coming from really a human-computer interaction background and a software design background is, well, you know, first of all, yes, we, we can do this, but uh, we need to establish why. Uh, we have to understand um, where, where this uh, technological experience is going to meet uh, human experience and, and, and what's the utility. And I think that focus will, will, will uh, make the adoption of the Internet of Things uh, much stronger. Thank you very much, Dan. Good overview and good intro to our topic. We're also obviously going to cover what's going on behind the curtain, and that's going to lead me into my next guest and his very interesting quote. It's Dennis King. He's an SVP of Global Field Operations and Strategic Alliances at Solace Systems. That's S-O-L-A-C-E. And here's a quote from none other than the Wizard of Oz. Everybody ready? I think you all know this one. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. What a great segue from Dan McNamara to you, Dennis King. Welcome, Dennis. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic, Bonnie. Uh, thanks for having me, and uh, how are you doing? We're, oh, well, thank you. You're the second person in, in 200 shows who asked me that. I'm great. Thank you very much, Dennis. I appreciate it. Talk to me. Wizard of Oz. How did Wizard of Oz get quoted on a show about Internet of Things? Really? Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a mysterious quote, but... I think it comes along the lines of the, the hype, the hype that we're seeing with Internet of Things. I think Internet of Things is probably at the peak of the hype cycle from a, from a Gartner perspective. And I think when everybody thinks of Internet of Things, they think about the thing that touches the end customer experience. They think about the smart Coke machine. They think about the smart app that opens your car door. They think about the home automation. And even in the mobile economy, you know, we're inundated with, you know, massive amounts of hot applications for the smartphone. I think the real sex appeal, though, in IoT is, is, is in the store, when the story lies close to the end user, the smart device, where people can touch the story, where it makes intuitive sense, and the benefit is most clear. But from my perspective, I guess what fascinates, fascinates me the most is what happens when you have 30 million applications connecting to an infrastructure? What happens when you have 200,000 connected cars or 1 million connected cars? So when I talk about pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. I think the curtain is really, or behind the curtain is really the infrastructure. I think there's been, you know, there's been an incredible amount of uh, R&D and advancement and innovation in, the, in, in instrumenting and lowering the cost of, of the sensor and the devices. And there's actually been quite a bit of work done in the analytics space, moving from the traditional business intelligence to more sort of real-time predictive analytics. But I think where Things are still evolving, and, and, and I mean, fairly well-defined, but still I think there's a lot of work to be done is, is understanding that infrastructure. There's, you know, there's probably 3 billion Internet users globally, so that's the Internet of Computers. And when we think of you know, 20 billion, 40 billion, 50 billion, whatever the number is going to be in the future, I think uh, the infrastructure is going to need to evolve. The standards will need to evolve, how we communicate, how we be smarter about... Uh, things at the edge, filtering at the edges, what data actually makes it back to the cloud or the data center. So the man behind the curtain is the infrastructure for me, and I think in some ways it's still the forgotten piece. I still believe there's work to be done there. 
Thank you very much, Dennis. Uh, it sounds to me like we're talking about a brave new world, another frontier. Anybody who has been despairing that we've run out of frontiers, I think we found the next one and it's here. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And let's bring on our third panelist. She's a return guest on SAP Radio, but it's her first time on our new Internet of Things series. It's Christine Herzog. She's the founder and managing director of the Smart Grid Library and SGL Partners. And I have the following quote from Christine. The communication solutions enabling Internet of Things, IoT traffic, need to be involved in protecting the ongoing security and privacy of data. Amen. Christine Herzog, welcome back to Game Changers Radio. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine, thanks, Bonnie. How are you doing? I'm well. Thanks for joining me. I have to tell everybody the amen was mine, not Christine. So uh, we it's very important to talk about security and privacy, especially with so much data we're talking about. Christine, why don't you talk to us about your quote and uh, and about the topic? Go ahead. Uh, well, um, there, there are a lot of uh, potential uses. Um, and benefits for different stakeholders when it comes to the Internet of Things. As uh, you know, both Dan and Dennis have alluded to, you know, there are uh, a, a range of different possibilities in terms of the benefits out there, um, and you can break those down into a number of ways. However, uh, there is definitely a monetization of this data, and monetization can create privacy issues. Um, so that's why it's going to be very important that when we think through what are these different applications, how do we structure the networks, how do we uh, create the uh, right network management systems, uh, and and how do we um, develop the different applications and apps that are going to be uh, either generating or analyzing some of this data. It's going to be very important to, to keep in mind where ownership of that data should reside and what rules need to be put around it. Christine, I have a question for you. Normally, when we talk about security and data privacy, we think of data attached to a person, to a group, to an organization. We think of human privacy and human security and our, our feelings that, yes, we want everybody to know we exist, but damn it, some stuff should just be kept close to the vest. So when we're talking about the connectedness of things, of appliances, of cars, of millions and millions of objects, where does the issue of data privacy come in? In other words, for whom are we protecting the data privacy. Just give me a clue. Well, I can give you one example that comes from more of the smart grid sector. For example, mm-hmm. uh, buildings. You don't necessarily think of a building as having a privacy issue. However, if you are generating data on um, the building's energy consumption, and it turns out that there's really only one tenant in that building, um, then that is, um, you know, a privacy issue, and sometimes it could also be an issue of, um, you know, uh, competition or a business not wanting its competitors to know certain aspects that might be able to be uh, derived uh, about how their business is doing based on that energy consumption data. So that's a case that doesn't necessarily come to the forefront because, yeah, it's not a person, it's not an individual, but it is an individual company, and there might Mm -hmm. be some sensitivity to that data. Thank you, Christine. Just wanted to clear that because I'm sure it's a question our listeners had. Now, I have a question for the whole panel. You all know what's coming. I know you had a chance to prepare this. So the big question of the moment is, what's in your cup today, or what do you wish you were drinking, or what are you going to drink right after the show? Dan McNamara, where are you calling from, and what are you drinking? (laughs) 
Well, um, I'm actually uh, I'm calling from our offices, which are um, based in uh, Trafalgar Square, which is the very central point in London. Um, and uh, for me, it's evening, so I'm in a slightly different time zone. So, mm-hmm. um, to be honest, if uh, if it was this time and I happen to be um, close to work, um, I would probably uh, prefer to have a pint of bitter English beer um, in the local pub, which happens to be uh, um, actually one of the best pubs in the country, often voted as such, um, and uh, it's really quite a privilege to be so close to it. Um, if you can envisage uh, Cheers meeting uh, Charles Dickens, um, that would sort of uh, convey the atmosphere of the place. Um, but um, obviously, as we're, we're discussing quite a serious topic here, uh, I'm sat here with, uh, with an espresso. Um, and uh, I learned uh, managing quite a, a large number of developers uh, quite some time ago that having good coffee on hand uh, when you're developing is, is, is extremely important to uh, productivity and general happiness um, <laughs> and to fuse in um, uh, an aspect of the Internet of Things into this. Um, I really would like my uh, Nespresso machine to be just that tiny little bit smarter. So mm-hmm. I think there is the delivery network behind this and uh, the, the ordering network, sort of the API level. Um, I wonder if my coffee machine can actually just cut me out and self-order um, ah! and save me a bit of time. I love it. I love it. I have to ask you, you want to give us the name of the pub? Darren Crowder is on a, uh, he's the sponsor of the show, and he's on a, a little link chat with me on one of my four screens here. And he said, I knew, I knew Dan would talk about the pub, but Darren doesn't, re- <laughs> Darren doesn't remember the, the name of the pub. So what's the name of it? It's the Harp. He was there a couple of times. You may not remember, but he still does. Thank you, Dan, very, very much. And I love your comments about coffee, about the productivity that comes with sharing coffee with people when you're working. I like that. We may not have heard that ever before on, on one of our radio shows. So thank you for that. Dennis King, I won't even begin to ask you to top that, but just tell me what you're <laughs> drinking or what you wish you're drinking. Well, I mean, coming from, I'm actually here in Ottawa, Canada, and certainly coming from Canada, there's there's no way I could top a pub in Canada like the one in Trafalgar Square, so certainly can't top that, but I guess for me, uh, I travel quite a, quite a bit with, uh, with, with this company, and uh, I'm actually having a, a Tim Hortons double-double coffee, and I think for anybody who's Canadian, they would understand what a double-double is. It really means two cream, two sugar. Um, and the interesting thing is, no matter where I travel in the world, no matter what coffee shop I go to, nobody knows what a double-double is. So the only way I know for sure that I'm home is I can go to the local coffee shop and say double-double, and I get exactly what I need. So I'm having the afternoon double-double, and the only other little piece of trivia that I can give you is that um, you know, Tim Horton, which is like the equivalent, I guess, of Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts in Canada, was started by a hockey player, uh, back in the back in the 70s, and this guy was a famous hockey player, played for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it's quite fitting, I guess, the only coffee shop that could really be successful in Canada was actually uh, started by a hockey player. So. I'm enjoying my double-double and definitely happy to be here on your show. So thanks a lot. Thank you very much. I learned something about the double-double. That's really cool. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. I love that. That was great, Dennis. Thank you so much. Christine, what can I say? What are you drinking? Make it a good one. Well, um, I'm here in Silicon Valley um, where my home office is, and uh, I'm drinking a very precious resource called water. 
as you may well know, there's a terrible drought here in the state and, you know, other parts of the West as well. So um, it's, it's certainly being enjoyed and not being wasted. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. You're the second guest in two weeks who has made that comment about the the precious aqua. So nice to hear that as well. Let's hope you get more. I think we're heading for some thunderstorms here on Long Island, so we should have a a nice bit of rain. Maybe I'll just bottle it up and figure a smart way to have it osmosed and sent over to you. How would that be? Okay? I would love that. And we can all- have the state of California. Yes, we'd all love that. <laughs> we'll certainly try. Guess what? You've all earned a break. This is a very interesting opening. We're talking about the Internet of Things. How does it really work? What is the man behind the curtain doing? Ignore him, applaud him, help him out, give him some good coffee and take him to the pub if he does a good job. How is everything connecting? And maybe to the point... Why does everything want to connect? Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be speaking a lot more in the 30-minute roundtable with Dan McNamara at Key Tree, Dennis King at Solace Systems, and Christine Herzog at Smart Grid Library. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you for tuning in for the first segment of Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. We'll be right back after the break. 30-minute roundtable. Panelists, put your seatbelts on. Michael, out. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Okay, we just had a news flash here. Darren Crowder is drinking mulled wine with a little bit of orange zest. I think that's for you, Dan McNamara, to know and uh, and be interested in. And he says it has cranberries and elderberry in it. And he says it's raining big time where he is. So there we go. Okay, Christine, don't feel badly. Let's start our roundtable here with Dan McNamara, Keytree. Dan, you sent me so many interesting notes before the show. I, I'm not sure where to start, but I think I'd like to talk about 
smart what, smart where, smart how. We're talking about what, it, how does the Internet of Things really work. Well, let's talk about where it's going to gain the most traction, and then we can talk about what it takes to get that traction. So the question you posed to me is, where will the IoT gain most traction first, manufacturing, smart homes and smart buildings, and Christine mentioned that, smart cities, or anything else? Where are we seeing the biggest push so far or the biggest uh, coming on board of IoT? Dan? Um, so from my perspective, you know, I, I, I pose the question, um, and I, I actually think that, um, in a way, all of these things are kind of happening at the same time. Um, I think we're looking for a killer application from, from the IoT, but actually I think it will just be many, many things that, that make up this killer application, um, a bit like, you know, the, the, the Internet itself. Um, so, you know, we are seeing it, it take hold in, in manufacturing, um, the smart grid, which obviously uh, uh, Christine's, uh, uh, you know, very much the expert on um, smart buildings, smart cities. Uh, for me, smart buildings actually um, is something that is is starting to to take hold and is of interest. So, if you think um, the air conditioning, the lighting, the fire alarm, those are all systems. You know, it's quite obvious that can you know feed into central network. Uh, that can become a bit more advanced, possibly a bit more intelligent. You know, the lights turn off. It could start to become behavioural-based. Um, perhaps these things could create work orders for maintenance, etc. you know, as and when things happen. And already we're, we're seeing that in, in, in buildings. You're seeing these systems, you know, on the network. And why I think that this is... Um, is, is, is a really good starting point is because it's really it's quite contained you know we understand these functions within a building um, we have you know these systems that are already in place that have you know built a certain amount of um, advanced technology over the years and then also there is you know there's a business case there's the sustainability goals and uh, efficiencies etc to be to be considered um, so I can see, you know, smart buildings being an area of of of, of, of interest, um, and and for organisations like like mine, where we, you know, we we kind of uh, work around these things for innovation. So we're looking at things like occupancy sensing, um, the you know, eye beacon technology, for example, for a room to identify itself as free or a hot desk. And we, you know, we're a small cog, but I think that with these these tool sets that are coming online, and with um, you know the man behind the curtain. Um, that you know, all of these things will, will will come together. Lots of small pieces of a very of a very big jigsaw. Thank you very much, Dennis King. Thoughts on this, the jigsaw puzzle? Yeah, you know, I think if I look at uh, Internet of Things at a macro level, you know, just by you know research papers and whatever else you might read, I think you know, from at least from our perspective, you know, telematics, cars, and telematics is, is very popular. Home automation is definitely very interesting, very very near and dear to the individual and the user experience. Manufacturing, oil, gas, oil and gas, and mining, I think, are are definitely catching on. So at the macro level, I mean, I can I can agree with those higher level smart metering. Obviously, is another one. But if I look at solar systems in particular, I mean, we we seem we seem to be getting um, scattered all over the place. I mean, there are different use cases that we see that are maybe not necessarily a part of the of the macro trend, but certainly, you know, certainly uh, fold up into the trends in general. So, for example, like, you know, we, we work a lot with the railway systems, like positive train control was some legislation put in place several years ago. Um, some of the largest railway systems in the world, specifically in North America, have, you know, triple, quadruple the number of sensors on the track so that they can control uh, the trains better. And for every single 
mile an hour faster they can make those trains go with better control saves them in the order of $200 million on the bottom line. And so, you know, these are use cases that we don't hear about, we don't talk about, but certainly ones that we see quite regularly. Another one I think most people can relate with is, is with the telcos. You know, most people today, as they travel around the world or even travel uh, within, within the nation, they, they, they use their cellular phones. Even though there's hotspots for Wi-Fi everywhere, um, they tend to use a cellular phone. And one of the things that the, the telco providers are trying to push individuals towards doing right now is getting on the Wi-Fi hotspots. So they're, they're starting to need to sense people's uh, location, their direction, where they're heading, so they can seamlessly move them from different hotspots without necessarily leveraging the cell network. This is, you know, this is millions and millions of dollars of savings, and we're talking about hundreds, hundred millions of people sort of moving around all at once. So it's a fairly large-scale problem that we're trying to solve. Uh, working with a company in Tokyo around, uh, you know, instrumenting their truck. They have 55,000 trucks on the road in, in Tokyo alone that are sensing the temperature and humidity in, in the truck for, for um, the, the prescription drugs that they're carrying around in the truck. And for every uh, several drop in temperature uh, for a 30-minute period is a massive loss in revenue on these pills that are being, uh, being transported around. So there are, there are many different use cases. They're all somewhat siloed from what I can tell right now in the industry. I mean, the one thing that I can say for sure is I don't know what the killer application is just yet. I'm not sure anybody really knows what the killer application is. But when I said that a year ago, I can certainly see things moving uh, much faster right now. Um, definitely think we're moving in the right direction. Um, I always like to make the comment uh, about the ringtones, you know, back in 2004, 2005, whoever would have thought uh, ringtones at 99 cents would be a $4 billion market in 2005. Nobody could ever have predicted that. And I think if I look across telematics, home automation, manufacturing, I think nobody really knows, but I think it's going to be one of those areas where we see the real push in the next uh, two to five years. Some exciting examples. Thank you, Dennis. Christine, I'm sure you have some more use cases. You want to talk about where it's taking traction? Sure. Uh, well, I think of it from a perspective of smart infrastructure, which is uh, a broader definition than just smart grids, and, and it certainly encompasses things like smart cities because there's so many different types of um, applications that you find. Uh, if you consider uh, a city to be a vertical um, then there are many horizontal applications within that vertical, including traffic management or transportation, um, building management, energy systems types of things, water uh, grid management, things of that sort. And, and so um, the way that I look at it is that um, we do have um, certain killer apps that if you look at, uh, say, a city infrastructure, um, there are definitely going to be things that are identified as pain points by the constituents in that city. A case in point would be the city of Los Angeles. Um, they have um, a, a very sophisticated type of uh, you know, traffic light sensing system uh, that they utilize to help them understand if they need to do the timing of those lights a little bit differently to avoid congestion on the streets and, and aid in traffic. And that's a, a fairly automated system, although that data does come back to uh, an operations center, a, a NOC or network operations center, but there's a, a fair amount of automation to that. 
And so that would be, um, I, I think, you know, the, the city, you know, resources, the city leaders would say, that's maybe a killer app for them. It, it, it improves their traffic flow and it re- alleviates one of the problems or complaints that citizens of that city have about living in that city and it helps make it more livable. So that would be one example. I think, um, as um, uh, Dennis had mentioned about smart metering, uh, smart meters have the potential to be a killer app for utilities and they're still in the early stages of understanding just what they can do with these meters. But essentially, uh, from a sustainability or carbon footprint reduction perspective, the fact that you no longer have to send a meter reader out to read each of these meters um, is a huge savings in terms of uh, reduction in uh, CO2 emissions. And it also has a lot of other benefits, such as being able to immediately detect if there is a um, service outage um, rather than you coming home to a dark house and then calling the utility to say, hey, I'm, I've lost power. Uh, a smart meter can automatically sense that and send out a last gasp message through the communications network to say, I'm losing power. Um, and the utility can then immediately uh, um, react to restoring power rather than have any delay there. So those would be two examples that I could give you. Thank you very much, Christine. Great examples. I've been tweeting a little bit of them. I hear somebody in the background. Is that Dennis or Dan? Who wants to comment, please? Uh, yeah, actually, Bonnie, I was just going to, to add a scenario there, that, I, mm-hmm. that, I, that, that um, and, and that is um, we actually worked on a project um, that was around uh, cows. So here, you know, I don't know if we can really class uh, animals as a, as a thing. Um, well, we can, but uh, you know, they're animate. Um, but uh, we worked on a project where we, uh, we, um, we, there was an ankle bracelet for the cow, and this uh, measured in really quite micro detail the pedometry of the cow and uh, pushed you know, um, an awful lot of data about how the cow was walking and their behavioral patterns you know, up to a system in the cloud where there was some really sort of quite clever, um, well, extremely clever algorithms that helped work out the fertility of the cow and also whether there were any issues that, that might affect it, uh, the milking. Um, and again, you, I, you can't see, you know, I, I don't see this as, you know, it's, it's certainly hugely, it could be hugely and is hugely influential for that particular industry. Um, but I, I can just see this, um, this model um, really having so much general applicability. Wow, that's a good one. Any comments from Dennis or Christine on the cow ankle bracelet? I, I want to know if we can get one here in New York in a jewelry store. It it's actually sounds very interesting. Not that I want anybody uh, tracking what I'm doing. What do you think? Christine, have you ever heard of that before? I haven't heard of that specific one, uh, but I, I am aware of other interesting applications within um, the, the agriculture sector uh, where they're actually able to save both uh, water and electricity by monitoring um, the, the irrigation pumps and detecting leaks. And I've heard about uh, crop uh, sensors in crops that can tell the farmer when it's time to water, when they've been overwatered, when the temperature is changing. I, I think the uh, the examples are coming to the fore. I tell you what, I want to go in a slightly new direction. Dennis King, I'm looking at your notes. I have a, a really important question you are posing about whether the IoT is real. Is it another virtual reality? And you bring into question Betamax. Really, Dennis King, we're talking about it like it's here. It's existing. We're getting great 
cases from use cases from you and from Dan McNamara and Christine Herzog's Smart Grid Library. Why would you think that it's going to die and that it isn't real? Is it a phantom? Talk to me. I think uh, because there's been so many hyped technologies over the years, like the Segway and the Betamax, and even virtual reality to a certain extent, although virtual reality has made some headway in, in recent years, there's been so many hyped technologies over the years that have never come to fruition. It kind of get, sort of dies before it gets started. But, you know, when you look at Internet of Things, I think there are actually things happening, happening around us already that are real. Um, you know, you can... You can absolutely buy a service today, specifically more so in Europe, uh, for your car, um, so you can get preventive maintenance information on your car. Somebody calling you and telling you you're driving too fast. Somebody calling you and telling you you're using the brakes too hard. Um, There are services in the U.S. right now where you can do real-time pricing for your insurance. If you drive too fast, you pay higher insurance. If you drive slower, you, you pay lower insurance. Uh, I'm very, you know, I love going into the, the Apple store and, and, and looking at the wearable devices. I was, I was just there last week, and I was quite astounded by the number of devices uh, that I can wear, specifically around heart monitoring and not having to wear a chest strap. The, the, the newest one that I noticed was um, the blood pressure uh, gauge that you wear on your wrist. Um, so I think it's definitely happening. It's definitely happening. And you know, when the, you know, when the 777 plane went down in the, in the ocean and, and they're still trying to find that plane, mm-hmm. um, while none of the data recorders were actually connected uh, in a cloud-based service, in an Internet of Things-style service, um, the engines were actually connected, and there's lots of sensor data being collected from those engines in real time. So these are all things that are happening today, uh, proving that, you know, IoT is here. Um, and I think the other area that we have to look at is, is the economics of it. You know, when there's real money, um, when there are real when there's real money, then basically the trend happens, uh, and without substance, it dies. So I think there are, you know, with the with the data that we have available, um, I think there's a real opportunity here for IoT to make it to the next level and not be another one of these hyped trends that just goes away. It sounds like there's so much momentum there already. There's got to be money behind it if we have so much progress. Do you think it's enough money, or do we need to wave the flag in different areas, different directions to bring in new sources of funding? What's your thought on that before I ask Christine? Dennis? Yeah, no, I think uh, enough money. I think we're still trying to define the business models a little bit for Internet of Things, but I, and I think cloud is helping us define what those business models are. But I absolutely think there's enough money. And I think if I were to look ahead by three or four years, I think we'll look back and we'll realize how slow and how efficient we're actually doing things today. Um, Everybody loves information. Everybody's willing to spend money on making their lives easier. Um, And I think that's, that's really where we're heading. Thank you very much. Christine Herzog, I'm sure you have some comments on what Dennis just shared. Go ahead. Sure. Um, well, the one thing that comes to my mind right off the bat is that in, in terms of monetization again, um, uh, and again, I, you have, I have to apologize since I'm so reflective of you know, one particular aspect of this being smart grid and smart infrastructure, but um, there, there definitely are changes to the business models there when you talk about in North America regulated utilities. Um, you know, there's a lot of serious conversation ongoing about how we have to change just business models 
this point in time because as we see new entrants, non-traditional entrants are coming into the uh, energy sector and using home automation as the example, uh, you see or uh, companies such as uh, cable carriers and and the uh, the you know traditional telco carriers are now entering the space in terms of offering home energy management services, home security services, mm-hmm. and they see that simply as they are enabling uh, various different sensors with um, you know home uh, based communications, home area networks uh, that then are um, uh, you know then coming back to uh, their head-end offices through larger networks. Uh, it's just simply uh, a new service that they can offer, a new subscription service. And so they are leveraging uh, various sensors and actuators in order to uh, get their money from creating um, a new value-added service. Christine, I- I'm wondering, are we waiting, you, me, Dennis, Dan, are we waiting for our, our uh, electric company, for our auto the manufacturer of the cars we love to drive, are we waiting for them to send us an announcement by email or a big, fancy, glossy, full-color flyer in the mail? Guess what? Internet of Things is here. We can now give you a car that tells you when the tire is about to go or when the air conditioning needs more Freon or whatever they're using this, these days. Uh, and, and your refrigerators. Uh, or do we need to make the clamor, what we used to call the hue and cry, and go to them and say, we want smart appliances. We want smart cars. We're waiting. When are they coming? Where does that push, where does that pull come in terms of demand? Does it come from consumers, come from businesses? Or do the business say, yippee, we're the first on our block. Now you can have your car with smart whatever. So where does it come from, Christine? Well, I think it's a, a, all of the above in, in some ways because there's no monolithic uh, consumer whether you're talking from a a business-to-business or a business-to-consumer perspective, um, you know, there's segmentation. So there are the the folks who are seeking the latest and greatest, and um, they just, you know, they're the folks that line up to um, to buy the the newest Apple product when that is released, for example. Uh, There are others who will wait for a little while until, you know, they've heard a little bit more about it, and then it's not such an inconvenience to their lives, they'll go and get it. And and that's the same kind of analogies that we have to think about in terms of uh, adoption of innovative technologies is that there are the early adopters and there are later adopters and there are different motivations for that. But one of the most compelling, if we're talking about business to business, will always be does this make me money? Does this save me money? Does this optimize my business in some way that it makes it gives me a competitive edge? For consumers, um, you know, it's probably going to be more. Do I feel safer uh, if I have uh, some kind of a, a solution that is giving me home security? Do I have more comfort in my home if I am um, adopting uh, one of these uh, home energy management solutions? So there will be a range of different considerations. So. So the message is that regardless of who the vendor is with a solution, they really need to consider how they're going to address the different segments and how the messaging has to be delivered and how the messaging has to change from one segment to another. Thank you, Christine. Great overview. Thanks for entertaining my question. Dan McNamara, I want to get you in on this. Thoughts about what Christine just shared and, and what we started with Dennis King? 
Uh, well, I, I, I agree with uh, Christina. I think this, this does come from two angles. It, it does come from uh, consumer demand, um, and also it comes from innovation within, within industries that see some kind of uh, competitive advantage here. Um, um, and and, 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 and it, it really has to, has to be both. Um, but I think not everything works, and um, it, it is a case of, you know, we have to, you know, um, um, you know, things get tried on perhaps a smaller scale. Um, so one example might be was you know had had some conversations with an energy supplier in the U, in the UK about what home uh, what home automation and control that uh, that they were thinking uh, was going to be possible in in the very near term. Um, and obviously, you know, it makes sense for you know energy consumption to be to be managed and you know smart metering. I think you know that's without a doubt. It's it's obvious that 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 um, that, that has a huge uh, business case and a, a business value. Some of the other ho- home automation stuff, I think you have to kind of, you know, you have to stop and think a bit. So we were t- we were discussing whether, um, you know, for example, you could, you know, um, take, you, you could uh, control your bath so that if you're on your way home, uh, your bath starts filling up and, um, uh, you know, it's ready for you when you get home. And you know, this was a, a general, a, a genuine consideration. Um, from my perspective, I thought, well, you know, I'm really interested in technology uh, and applying that to to pretty much anything, just from a you know an interest viewpoint. But but would I really want that um, that sort of mm-hmm. control over my bath? And you know, I don't I don't <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I and, might. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, but, but, but some people might. You never know. I, I, I yeah. could be wrong. Um, I, I think that um, it's important to get uh, some uh, people-centered design principles into this. So you have to, to work out um, what do people want, um, mm-hmm. what, what can an end user do um, in, in these situ- situations, and that's what will, will drive adoption. Be that we're, you know, we're reacting to ideas from consumers or we are you know, uh, coming up with ideas and then you know, trialing that on, on uh, representative markets. Okay, I may guess what? Just jump yes, in there, please. Bonnie. I'd like sure. to add a point to what Dan just said because, the, you know, putting the consumer in the center here is very important. And that also uh, gets back to this whole, convert, you know, my initial point about uh, privacy of data because that means you have to engineer in that trust that uh, people will be willing to um, adopt these innovative solutions because they trust that these solutions will uh, protect their privacy will add value to them and not be subtractive. Okay, Christine, I want to cover one of the points in the notes you sent me before the show. I think we've touched on some of this already, but I want to give you a turn to lead a brief thread here. I'm just going to read it and see if there's anything else you want to add. Christine says, IoT is an essential foundation for smart infrastructure, such as electric, water, natural gas grids, and smart cities. And then she adds, the volume, velocity, and variety of data will increase. The veracity of data will become increasingly important for descriptive, predictive and prescriptive analytics. So why don't you talk a little bit about the analytics, Christine? Okay, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, you know, uh, we, we all hear the phrase being thrown around a lot these days about big data, and, and certainly there are increasing volumes of data coming from all of these different sensors and actuators that comprise the Internet of Things. Um, and, and so... Uh, most of the analytics out there are very much descriptive, more historical, telling you what's 
don't what's happened uh, and, and giving you some um, uh, insights in that direction. Um, but where we want to go is more into predictive and prescriptive um, analytics. And, and certainly there are a range of different types of um, capabilities that we're starting to see if we look at say, something like um, uh, wearable technologies, uh, there's an opportunity to um, start doing a little bit more in terms of predictive um, analytics, in terms of suggestions that could be made to people. Well, you took 10,000 steps yesterday. You know, maybe you want to try uh, adding in a couple more flights of stairs, and you know, that'll help you achieve um, you know, a, a slightly better um, you know, heart rate, or it'll help you reduce weight to achieve whatever goals or objectives you may have sent there. And then when you get to things such as the um, uh, the self-driving cars, uh, I was following one the other day here in Mountain View, California, that Google's got out there on, on the road. Um, that's getting into prescriptive analytics where they're using all of this data to anticipate and to actually drive the car. Okay, thank you. Dan McNamara, any comments on this? And Dennis King, I'm going to try and take a break in around three minutes, but we have we have plenty of time. So who wants to comment on, on the information Christine just shared? Dan? Um, I, I, I would just like to add a bit there because I, I, I see yeah. as well as um, predictive analytics, I think that um, where this, this will get to is also an advance in, in artificial intelligence. Um, so we have... Um, all of these uh, smart objects that, that can pr- uh, provide data, we can, you know, put all sorts of automation and control in place because of that. Um, but, but equally, you know, it, it will be all about the algorithm and, and the intelligence that that, that, that can provide. Um, and I wouldn't want to sort of be, you know, kind of too um, big brother about it. But, you know, the, the way I see it, and, um, you know, perhaps we are, you know, a, a few years away from this, um, but the more advanced uh, that, that that network is and the more intelligent that the, the objects that have this smart technology in them are and how they can um, you know, um, um, assist and, and provide use cases to people, um, you know, I, I really do think that the, um, the AI angle here will, um, you know, will, will move on a similar, similar innovation curve. Thank you, Dan. Dennis King, I heard you. Go ahead. Yeah, just just one comment on the technology because I think when we get into predictive analytics, I think there's there's a couple of barriers that we've been facing over the last few years, and I think it was, it was mentioned a second ago, which is a simple fact that um, you know any kind of analytics that have been done over the last few years has been largely done on historical data sets, and the reason that is is because the technology, while it might live in, in a higher performing in-memory database, I don't want to get too technical here, but in an in-memory database technology. Um, the data itself is kind of loaded in in a very static way. If we're going to get into the world of self-driven cars, you can imagine the response time. In order to give that car a response time with some kind of a predictive analytics and to make to take an action effectively, the data needs to be coming into these back-end systems. It needs to be streamed in in real time. So while the analytics is happening on the data set, the data is also changing. And so this is where technologies like SAP HANA and Event Stream Processor, these technologies come together to, to have contextual sense of the data, but do it on data that's actually streaming in. And this type of streaming technology moving away more from the traditional database is really what's allowing us to leverage and, and use predictive analytics. 
because there's lots of use cases out there where the response time is not that critical. But when you get into self-driving cars and track and trace of, of bus systems in large cities, the response time is extremely important. And so technology is just getting us to the point where I think we can start to see those types of things. Thank you, Dennis. Great point. I'm, I'm thinking about self-driving cars. I know that it's starting to surface and people are saying we'll have fewer accidents. We won't have DUIs if the car is driving itself. But can you imagine if there's a failure of that data communication at a critical point where the cars are coming to an intersection and what the insurance rates might be for the first early smart cars? I shudder to think. Guess what? You've all earned more than earned a break. We're going to go out for about 90 seconds. Dan McNamara at Keytree, Dennis King at Solace Systems, Christine Herzog at the Smart grid library you're all going to please go out and find that magic crystal ball and when you come back i'm going to ask you if you can see clearly to the year 2020 or any year where you can see blue skies about how will the internet of things be working and how well will it be working and will it still be here we're going to take our break don't even think of touching that app that mouse that dial i am bonnie d graham we'll be right back michael out We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Here we are, and it's time for our predictions round. We finally call it the crystal ball. We're going to start with Dan McNamara at Keytree, calling in from the UK near his favorite pub in Trafalgar Square famous before the show and even more famous now. Dan, can you see clearly to the year 2020 or you want to tell me about a different time frame for the crystal ball predictions? Go ahead. Well, I think in the short term, I think we're actually at a a real inflection point now and and, and next year. Um, And and one of the things that caught my eye recently is that Arm, the the chipset designer, um, uh, recently bought out their um, operating system for the Internet of Things called Embed. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, their thinking here was to, uh, to uh, try and tackle what they were calling the Internet of Silos, the fact that, you know, um, uh, lots of different organizations are going off and doing their own thing in this space. Um, but, but the way I see it, I, I think, you know, if, if, if developers now have uh, this kind of accessibility um, to the Internet of Things and, and designers as well, um, and we have these building blocks to, to bring, um, you know, great concepts to fruition, 
um, then I think we could be looking at a similar kind of inflection point to, to what we had with um, the iPhone and Android in terms of, you know, as soon as, you know, the, the, you know, the fantastic tools were there uh, to build with, then a whole, you know, app culture um, uh, just, just blossomed very, very quickly. Now, obviously, there was, a, you know, um, perhaps a lot of noise there, but there's, you know, some, you know, just incredible changes in, in the way we do things. So I, I think, you know, now the short term is, is an interesting time. I think in, in, in the long term, um, I mentioned the, the point on artificial intelligence, and I think, you know, in, mm-hmm. in, in 10 years, I think things will have moved significantly in that space of, of well, you know, things like how, how can a network um, actually, you know, interpret, you know, natural behavior, um, you know, gestures, touch, speech, facial recognition, all um, um, working together along with, uh, along with the network. Um, and, uh, you know, how, how will this technological experience um, meet human experience? And, and I, you know, I think that sounds, you know, slightly scientific, you know, if you think, um, uh, you know, some of the, um, uh, maybe your, your, your favorite sci-fi stuff, but I, th- I think actually, you know, this, this, this will be achievable within within ten years. We will see, you know, some some really uh, incredible uh, use of everyday objects to uh, augment human computer interaction. Thank you, Dan. Question for you before we go to Dennis King. I know he's ready with the the magic crystal ball there, uh, Dan. What segment of our population globally, I'm talking about generational segments, will everybody say, wow, I can't wait for a smart refrigerator. Wow, I want that coffee maker to turn itself on and know exactly what I'm in the mood for today. Can't wait for the automatic bubble bath. That'll be great. Are we talking boomers? Are we talking middle-aged? The one, I, for, I forgot which, gen, which generation is even after or before boomers. And I heard the news that the millennials are turning 35. The cutting edge of millennials will be 35 years old next year. <laughs> So they're not, they're not babies anymore. Newsflash, newsflash. Dan, who will embrace all of these, uh, these automated IoT appliances? Just quickly, what do you think? Well, I think, you know, Christine mentioned early adopters. You're going to get those, you know, the people mm-hmm. like myself who will sort of, you know, buy anything that's a technological advance. But I think, you know, as it becomes, it's a genuine utility, and we're looking at, you know, safety, efficiency, automa- <laughs> automation, health, well-being, enjoyment. Those things are applicable to everybody. And then you will see, you know, uptake similar to, you know, silver surfers on, on the Internet. You know, um, my mum, for example, engaging with the Internet via, via an iPad, that sort of thing. Um, so I, I think, it, it, you know, it's for everybody in, in every scenario. Thank you. My mom's 97, and I'm bringing her a new computer tonight because she wore out her Macintosh. What can I tell you? <laughs> Dennis King, 90 seconds. Predictions, go. Okay, I'll try to fit it all in. So, I mean, I see, I see several things. I mean, if I fast forward just a couple of years, so similar to Dan, you know, I think one of the things that, that has to happen, it's almost an inflection point I think we're at right now, which is if you think of the Internet, the, the, the way in which the Internet thrived is because of broadband in the home, converged internet access, and a single protocol that every single browser could use. And that protocol was the, the application communication. It was HTTP. Everybody uses it. It's simple. It's easy. If I look at IoT, you know, in the internet age, everything was a browser, and people just connected to the computers, and everything was fine. You, you put your URL in. You got your web page. Everything was happy. Fairly simple. If you look mm-hmm. at Internet of Things, many different devices doing many different things. 
And the one thing that's really missing is a convergence toward one single protocol, similar to what we've seen with the Internet. So mm-hmm. while there are protocols out there, there I mean, I'll mention them, COAP, MQTT, AMQP, XMPP, these are all protocols that are open standard and are, are emerging as potentially the standard. But we're just at that inflection point right now when people are realizing that the way in which the Internet worked isn't going to suffice or isn't good enough for the way in which the Internet of Things has to work. So in, in the next couple of years, there's been a lot of, uh, I guess, good progress in the past year or two on this, this protocol problem, which really, I mean, when we converge toward one protocol, and as Dan mentioned, you know, the whole ARM processor and the embed OS is interesting because it has all the tools in the toolbox, and all of these protocols are, are, <clears throat> excuse me, are built in to this toolbox. So in the next one to two years, I think we will converge on a set of protocols. I think all the operating systems out there uh, for these smaller devices, whether it's Qualcomm or Raspberry Pi or whatever, will converge toward one or two common standards. And, and if we can achieve that in the next couple of years, I think we'll be on our way to the, the dream of everything talking to everything. But thank you, Dennis. I have, to, I have to give Christine 60 seconds. We're okay. almost out of time. Dennis, thank you. Thank you. Sorry to squeeze you. Christine, 60 no, go seconds, ahead. go. Go ahead, Christine. Okay, sure. Well, uh, my crystal ball would be that um, we are going to have um, a declaration that in order to really engineer transparency and privacy into the Internet of Things, uh, we're going to have to have a declaration that the data creator owns the data and has the ability to control what happens with that data. Um, without having that kind of, um, a, uh, you know, as I said, engineering uh, trust into the Internet of Things, uh, there will be resistance. It will be slower in adoption, which would have some, um, you know, some you know, pretty negative ramifications, especially when we think about all of the ways that Internet of Things can contribute to a more sustainable and healthy planet. Thank you, Christine. I'm going to have to say thank you to all of you for a wonderful prediction. Sorry we didn't have enough time, but we sure covered a lot of territory during the roundtable. Thank you so much to Dan McNamara at Keytree, Dennis King at Solace Systems, Christine Herzog at Smart grid library. Great roundtable, great predictions. I want to thank Darren Crowder for sponsoring the series, Ira Burke for helping and for tweeting, Malcolm Kimberlin at SAP and Michael and the Business Channel team. Tomorrow I'll be back. Yes, it's Thursday. We're not done yet. We are going to do Innovating Innovation with Game Changers tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. I'll be right back here and then we start our week again next Monday. I'm Bonnie D. Graham and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Almost like a song. See you tomorrow morning on Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 